Taiwan has lifted its entry ban for foreign spouses and minor children of Taiwan nationals who don't have residency rights. This ban was imposed in May following a COVID outbreak in northern Taiwan. On Monday, the CCC said that because the epidemic has eased off, non-residents will be allowed to apply for entry for the purpose of family reunion. Also on Monday, the CCC reported two new local COVID infections. One was an Italian resident connected to a preschool cluster in New Taipei. The other was a contact of a COVID case at a junior high school in Taipei. Vaccines were offered right inside a residential complex in New Taipei on Monday. The complex was hit by a COVID outbreak earlier this month. The CCC is prioritizing vaccination for residents who can get shots in the lobby instead of at a public clinic. A nurse from Taipei Hospital administers one shot after another. She's not at a hospital, but inside an apartment complex in New Taipei's Banqiao district. Vaccine after vaccine goes into arms. Outside the room, disinfection is underway. Earlier this month, several COVID cases were found in this residential complex in connection to a preschool cluster. All residents of Building B are now in isolation. All 473 residents of Building A are conducting self-health management and have been offered a vaccine. This arrangement is giving everybody peace of mind. Residents can simply come downstairs and get their vaccine. 300 doses of AstraZeneca were set aside for residents 18 and older who had not yet received their first shot. They did not need to register for an appointment. Right now, this building is a COVID hotspot. Those in self-health management can't easily go to a hospital. There are more than 400 residents, some of them children and some with one dose already. Our current vaccine coverage is 48 percent, so some of the residents are already vaccinated. We were loose with the ballpark estimate and set aside 300 doses. There probably aren't that many people who need one. Arrangements will also be made for the residents of Building B to get vaccinated after the 14-day isolation period. Taiwan biomedical firm Adimune has gotten approval from Indonesia to conduct a phase 2 trial in the country for its COVID vaccine candidate. The firm is developing a next-generation vaccine that targets COVID variants. Let's hear from a company representative. We have already received approval to carry out phase two trials in Indonesia. Over this time, our research found that administering three shots offers substantively more protection than just two shots. The trials in Indonesia will be for a three-shot vaccine. The company will trial a new three-shot format on 240 subjects, with results expected before the end of the year. Adamune says it plans to carry out phase three trials in more countries if it all goes smoothly in Indonesia. It may also test its vaccine cabinet in combination with a seasonal flu shot. Over the weekend, rock slides triggered by Typhoon Chanthu destroyed a new access road in a mountainous Kaohsiung district. The ruined road has left three villages stranded once again, just weeks after heavy rain destroyed an access bridge. About 400 people are cut off from the outside world. The Highway Bureau says that if the weather stays stable, the road can be cleared by this coming Friday. Large tracks of mud and rocks slide down the slope. This is the Meilan section of Provincial Highway 20 in Kaohsiung's Taoyuan District. 
Boulders, large and small, blocked off the mouth of a tunnel, which had been cordoned off in advance, preventing casualties. Over by Mimbaklu Bridge, three waves of rock slides struck a newly built access path, leaving villagers stranded once again. In Lavulang Village, locals were seen sweeping up debris. For these children, it was just another day as they played badminton on the street. But even so, fears loom over being trapped in the mountains yet again. Day-to-day -day life is okay, but without a road, we are really worried about being able to carry on in the mountains. We hope that the government repairs the path quickly. There are currently 149 people living in Fuxing village. There are 100 people in Lavulang and another 135 in Meishan, for a total of 384 people stranded by the rock slides. Early in the morning, highway bureau personnel went to survey the storm damage. They attempted emergency repairs along Provincial Highway 20, but were forced to evacuate due to rain. It's starting to drizzle here at the mouth of Usui Creek. We have temporarily moved our repair equipment to a safer place. They're headed toward Tinghe to do some pavement finishing. If we don't get any more mudslides or rock slides, we should be able to clear this road by Friday, possibly by the afternoon. The Mimbaklu Bridge was damaged by flooding in early August. A simple road was built to enable access to undamaged sections of the bridge. With the road itself now blocked, locals hope for speedy repairs that restore their lifeline to the outside world. Olympic gold medalist Li Yang stopped by his alma mater, National Taipei University of Business. The school bestowed on him the honor of outstanding alumnus. But back in the day, Lee had a tough time with his studies. He nearly dropped out at one point so that he could spend more time on training. Let's hear from him. Olympic gold medalist Li Yang visited his alma mater, National Taipei University of Business, where he was named an outstanding alumnus. Teachers and students alike lined up for an autograph from the badminton star. Li reminisced on the days back when he had to balance training with classes. Back then, we trained in Tianmu. I was always dashing for the bus. I had to rush my meals and hurry to classes all the time. Looking back now, it was a very fulfilling time. Fulfilling though it was, Lee became so overwhelmed with his busy schedule that he considered taking leave from school. Fortunately for him, the school let him take night school classes, allowing him plenty of time during the day to train. I don't think that the average university would let day school students make up missing credits with night school classes. As an athlete, that was a huge help. It's as I just mentioned, if my proposal had been denied, I wouldn't be where I am today. Four months later, he was moved up to Group A. I could see that Lee had tremendous resolve. His focus made me think of a tiger when it catches sight of prey. It was just like that. In the end, Lee's perseverance drove him to a gold medal finish in Tokyo. On Monday, he urged the young students in the room not to quickly give up on their dreams. The Pope has amassed a new piece for the Vatican's art collection, a painting by Taiwanese artist Lin Boshi. The work Peace and Prosperity delighted Pope Francis with its dazzling colors. It will be shown in the Vatican museums alongside a vast collection of important artworks. A representative from the RK Foundation pays a visit to Pope Francis at the Vatican to present Peace and Prosperity, a painting by Taiwanese artist Lin Boxi. His vibrant colors came from mineral pigments. The golds, diamonds, emeralds, sapphires and corals in the paint make a brilliant effect. 
The Pope likes my work? I said, wow, really? The Pope really likes it? The organizers said the Pope likes your colors. They have the passion of the Mediterranean in them. And secondly, he likes the oriental flavor we have, maybe because I'm from Taiwan. The painting will be housed in the Vatican museums, along with some of the most renowned artwork in the world, such as masterpieces by Michelangelo. Of course, I'm very happy. It's a real honor. What can I say? How wonderful to be able to take Kaohsiung and the sunshine of Taiwan to that place. That's what makes me happy more than anything else. Lin's connection to the Vatican began in 2019 when he held an exhibition at the Royal Palace of Milan, the first Taiwanese artist to do so. His work is also held at museums in Milan. Although the pandemic kept him from visiting the Vatican personally, he has definitely received the papal seal of approval. Washington is leaning toward letting Taiwan change the name of its U.S. office to include the name Taiwan. This development was first reported by the Financial Times. Last Friday, senior American officials held sensitive talks with Taiwan officials, including Foreign Minister Joseph Wu and the head of the National Security Council, Wellington Koo. Their talks, known as the Special Channel, were the first high-level in-person talks between Taiwan and the Biden administration. Let's hear what Taiwan's premier had to say. The representative office of the Taiwanese should be called the Taiwan Representative Office. This name reflects the facts. It's easy to identify and easy to distinguish. We are grateful to the relevant countries for moving in this direction. There's no guarantee it will be successful, so why don't we try it? There's nothing to lose. If Americans are willing to change our name, it'll be a major change. Some might even say a breakthrough. But I think this is a sensitive issue. It'll require some communication. Since the U.S. severed diplomatic ties with Taiwan in 1979, there have not been official relations between the two sides. The U.S.-Taiwan Relations Act has enabled the two sides to maintain ties through the unofficial American Institute in Taiwan and Taiwan Council for U.S. Affairs. Its official Hong Kong Outlanders has registered itself as a social group in Taiwan. The group represents pro-democracy Hong Kongers who live in Taiwan. During its press conference on Monday, the group asked the Thai administration to offer more help to Hong Kongers hoping to resettle in Taiwan. At long last, Hong Kong Outlanders has registered itself as a social group in Taiwan. But the mood was far from celebratory at its Monday press conference, where it condemned last week's crackdown on pro-democracy leaders in Hong Kong. The situation in Hong Kong is quite terrible. All the executive committee members of the Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements of China are being prosecuted. Some are being prosecuted for inciting rebellion and could face more than 10 years in prison. The Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements of China was founded in 1989 during Beijing's pro-democracy movement. Established by Hong Kongers, it holds vigils each year on June 4th and has long been a thorn in Beijing's side. Last Wednesday, Hong Kong police arrested several alliance leaders on national security grounds. The next day, police raided the June 4th Memorial Hall in Mong Kok, 
And the day after that, three of the arrested leaders appeared in court, accused of subverting state power. At a Monday press conference, activists urged Taiwan to improve its asylum policies for persecuted Hong Kongers. What Taiwan's government should think about is the long term, how to help Hong Kongers who come to Taiwan so that they can stay here or obtain residency. Over the long run, Hong Kongers in Taiwan will become a rather large social group. So this is an issue that needs more work. From its Hong Kong crackdown in Xinjiang detention camps to its routine military harassment of Taiwan, China has ramped up its strong-arm tactics at home and beyond, setting itself up for a backlash. Taiwan's annual live fire war games opened on Monday. On day one of the five-day Hanguang exercises, ships and fighter jets were moved away from their home bases to simulate an enemy assault on key military sites. One such relocation was cut short by the entry of Chinese aircraft into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. A squadron of Mirage 2000s was called away abruptly to intercept the PLA. According to a retired Air Force officer, the Hanguang drills are a window for China to gather military intelligence, so thorough precautions must be taken. Let's hear from him. We can't let our combat parameters be known. Our Air Force must conduct exercises in training mode. That's the regular mode and not combat mode. If you enter combat mode, the opponent is able to collect information on your combat parameters and frequency spectrum. Then, in war, they can use that information to render our weapons and equipment ineffective and making it impossible for us to fight. We need to have good coverage, camouflage and concealment, and to have the proper underground installations. All these measures can be used to deceive the enemy. These are the live fire drills, in which all of this is done very thoroughly. The retired officer says Taiwan must take care not to let information leak to the PLA during live fire drills. Since the start of this month, PLA jets have entered Taiwan's ADIZ 12 times. Farmers in Yunling are switching from rice paddies to fields of sorghum. That's partially to handle increasingly severe droughts, but also to prevent land subsidence. Falls in groundwater levels contribute to the dropping of ground level itself, and that's a threat to local high-speed rail lines. A high-speed rail track runs through Yunling County. This was once a lush paddy field. Now it's a field of sorghum. The sorghum is a recent planting. Farmers like that it's drought resistant. Officials hope it will halt subsidence around the rail tracks. When planting sorghum, in principle, we don't irrigate it unless we have some urgent need. With rice paddies, it depends. But in this kind of weather here, we'd probably be watering it every other day. Land subsidence is a growing issue in Yunling, with the region of subsidence growing from the coast towards a high-speed rail line. Paddy fields require intensive irrigation, draining groundwater and contributing to subsidence. Meanwhile, droughts are worsening and the county wants to promote grains that need less water. Subsidies are available for farmers who switch to sorghum, and there are 88 hectares of the crop planted around Tuku and Yuanchang townships. For stage 2 crop transitions, there's a central government subsidy of 45,000 NT a hectare and a county government bonus of 10,000 NT per hectare. According to Yunlin County government, 
environment, local sorghum is light and tasty. Farmers are on contract to supply Gaolian liquor distilleries and create a unique Yunlin Jinmen Gaolian. Tea leaves are normally green or brown, right? Well, normally yes, but in an effort that took over 28 years, the Tea Research and Extension Station has developed a purple tea leaf. Tai Cha number 25 is prized for its amazing colorful leaves and rainbow beverages. Vinegar is added to a clear green tea and it immediately turns a delicate pink. This black tea is a rich orange and carries a deep orchid scent. These two teas are both produced from the same leaf, Tai Cha number 25, which was refined over 28 years at the Tea Research and Extension Station. It's got lots of anthocyanins, so it's very colorful, so it can produce different colors for handshake and drink shops. Tai Cha number 25 was developed through crossbreeding of teas from Myanmar in 1992. Researchers found some leaves growing with a slight purplish color. They were strong and hardy and resistant to diseases too, and became a mainstay of the Taiwanese tea industry. Our test results compare it to other strains of tea. It has 50 times more anthocyanins than Taicha number 18. It grows strongly and really suits being harvested by machine. That way, it produces almost 8 metric tons a year. If handpicked, it can also produce almost 4 tons. It can secure a stable income for farmers. The purple number 25 contains anthocyanins, which help preserve bodily functions, and it can be added to food products. It is also grown for its beautiful colored leaves, making it both an agricultural and a botanical treasure. Pets are getting trendy these days, but in Caozhou and Pingdong, one is very famous pet is famous among the community. An old tortoise is often taken out for sunlit strolls by his owner, local grandmother Mrs. Kuo. The site charms locals and visitors alike. They've been together for decades, and he's firmly part of the family. Not a fur baby, but a shell baby. A tortoise strolls down the street, taking his time like a pensioner at leisure. His owner follows along behind. You see people walking dogs, cats, even sheep and pigs. But Mrs. Guo may be the only resident of Pingdong who walks her tortoise on the street. Sometimes drivers stop to take photos. The tortoise is properly named Xiao Guai. He lives in Mrs. Guo's back garden. When she talks to him, he cocks his head to listen and seems to get her point. He's a charming companion. I take him out to soak up the sunshine. Sometimes I follow him. He goes so quick. The kids found it funny when they were small. She's had him since he was small enough to fit in your palm. She takes him out in the sunshine, not just for a stroll, but for a real walk. The tortoise is well behaved and very adorable. Mrs. Guo and Xiao Guai have been together 21 years. He's an African spurred tortoise whose native habitat is the Saharan Desert or the tropical plains of Africa. Vegetarian, but one of the three biggest tortoises in the world, the species is now protected. They grow fast and can be from 60 to 90 centimeters long, weighing between 45 and 91 kilograms when mature. Most astonishing of all, they can live to a grand old age of 150, now 69 herself. Mrs. Gould wonders how Xiaoguai will get on without her. If one day I can't look after him, I hope someone will take care of him, someone who has a special connection with him. Mrs. Guo has loved Xiaoguai for decades. Let's wish them many more years of joyful sunbathing ahead.